This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dexnell Peters. Vanity Fair by William Thackeray. Chapter 48. In which the reader is introduced to the very best of company. At last, Becky's kindness and attention to the chief of her husband's family were destined to meet with an exceeding great reward, a reward which, though certainly somewhat unsubstantial, the little woman coveted with greater eagerness than more positive benefits. If she did not wish to lead a virtuous life, at least she desired to enjoy a character for virtue, and we know that no lady in the gentle world can possess this desideratum until she is put on a train and feathers and has been presented to her sovereign at court from that august interview they come out stamped as honest women the lord chamberlain gives them a certificate of virtue and as dubious goods or letters are passed through an oven at quarantine sprinkled with aromatic vinegar and then pronounced clean many a lady whose reputation would be doubtful otherwise and liable to give infection passes through the wholesome ordeal of the royal presence and issues from it free from all taint it might be very well for my lady Bearcress, my lady tufto mrs butte crawley in the country and other ladies who had come into contact with mrs rawdon crawley to cry fear at the idea of the odious little adventuress making her curtsy before the sovereign and to declare that if dear good queen charlotte had been alive she never would have admitted such an extremely ill-regulated personage into her chaste drawing-room but when we consider that it was the first gentleman in Europe in whose high presence Mrs. Rawdon passed her examination, and as it were, took her degree in reputation, it surely must be flat disloyalty to doubt any more about her virtue. I, for my part, look back with love and awe to that great character in history. Ah, uh, what a high and noble appreciation of gentle womanhood! there must have been in vanity fair when that revered and august being was invested by the universal acclaim of the refined and educated portion of this empire with the title of premier gentlehome of this kingdom do you remember there m o friend of my youth how one blissful night five and twenty years ago the hypocrite being acted elliston being manager Dorton and Liston performers. Two boys had leave from their loyal masters to go out from Slaughterhouse School, where they were educated, and to appear on Drury Lane stage amongst a crowd which assembled there to greet the king. The king! There he was. Befeaters were before the August box. The Marquis of Stein, lord of the powder closet and other great officers of state were behind the chair on which he sat he sat florid of face portly of person covered with orders and in a rich curling head of hair how we sang god save him how the house rocked and shouted with that magnificent music how they cheered and cried and waved handkerchiefs ladies wept mothers clasped their children some fainted with emotion 
people were suffocated in the pit shrieks and groans rising up amidst the writing and shouting mass there of his people who were and indeed showed themselves almost to be ready to die for him yes we saw him fate cannot deprive us of that others have seen napoleon some few still exist who have beheld frederick the great dr johnson marie antoinette and etc be it our reasonable boast to our children that we saw george the good the magnificent the great well there came a happy day in mrs rawdon crowley's existence when this angel was admitted into the paradise of a court which she coveted her sister-in-law acting as her godmother on the appointed day sir pitt and his lady in their great family carriage just newly built and ready for the baronet's assumption of the office of high sheriff of his county drove up to the little house in curzon street to the edification of raggles who was watching from his greengrocer's shop and saw fine plumes within and enormous bunches of flowers in the breast of the new livery coats of the footmen sir pitt in a glittering uniform descended and went into curzon street his sword between his legs little rawdon stood with his face against the parlour window panes smiling and nodding with all his might to his aunt in the carriage within and presently sir pitt issued forth from the house again leading forth a lady with grand feathers covered in a white shawl and holding up daintily a train of magnificent brocade she stepped into the vehicle as if she were a princess and accustomed all her life to go to court smiling graciously on the footman at the door and on sir pitt who followed her into the carriage then rawdon followed in his old guard's uniform which had grown woefully shabby and was much too tight he was to have followed the procession and waited upon his sovereign in a cab but that his good-natured sister-in-law insisted that they should be a family party the coach was large the ladies not very big they would hold their trains in their laps finally the four went fraternally together and their carriage presently joined the line of royal equipages which was making its way down piccadilly and st james street towards the old brick palace where the star of brunswick was in waiting to receive his nobles and gentlefolks becky felt as if she could bless the people out of the carriage windows so elated was she in spirit and so strong a sense had she of the dignified position which she had at last attained in life even our becky had her weaknesses and as one often sees how men pride themselves upon excellences which others are slow to perceive how for instance Thomas firmly believes that he is the greatest tragic actor in England, how Brown, the famous novelist, longs to be considered not a man of genius, but a man of fashion, while Robinson, the great lawyer, does not in the least care about his reputation in Westminster Hall, but believes himself incomparable across country, and at a five-barred gate, so to be and to be thought a respectable woman was becky's aim in life and she got up the genteel with amazing assiduity readiness and success we have said there were times when she believed herself to be a fine lady and forgot that there was no money in the chest at home duns round the gate 
tradesmen to coax and wheedle, no ground to work upon. In a word, and as she went to court in the carriage, the family carriage, she adopted a demeanour so grand, self-satisfied, deliberate, and imposing, that it made even Lady Jane laugh. She walked into the royal apartments with a toss of her head, which would have befitted an empress, and I have no doubt, had she been one, she would have become the character perfectly. We are authorized to state that Mrs. Rawdon Crowley's costume nicar on the occasion of a presentation to the sovereign was of the most elegant and brilliant description. Some ladies we may have seen, we who wear stars and cordons and attend the St. James assemblies, or we who in muddy boots dawdle up and down Pall Mall and peep into the coaches as they drive up with the great folks in their feathers, some ladies of fashion. I say we may have seen about two o'clock of the forenoon of a levy day, as the laced jacketed band of the lifeguards are blowing triumphal marches, seated on those prancing music stools, their cream-coloured chargers, who are by no means lovely and enticing objects at early period of noon. A stout countess of sixty decoletti, painted, wrinkled with rouge up to her drooping eyelids, and diamonds twinkling in her wig, is a wholesome and edifying, but not a pleasant sight. She has the faded look of a St. James Street illumination, as it may be seen of an early morning, when half the lamps are out and the others are blinking wanly, as if they were about to vanish like ghosts before the dawn. Such charms are those of which we catch glimpses while her ladyship's carriage passes should appear broad at night alone. If even Cynthia looks haggard of an afternoon, as we may see her sometimes in the present winter season, with Phoebus staring her out of countenance from the opposite side of the heavens, how much more can old Lady Castmoldy keep her head up when the sun is shining, full upon it through the chariot windows, and showing all the chinks and crannies with which time has marked her face? No, drawing-rooms should be announced for November, or the first foggy day, or the elderly sultanas of our vanity fair should drive up in closed litters, descend in a covered way, and make their curtsy to the sovereign under the protection of lamp-light. Our beloved Rebecca had no need, however, of any such a friendly halo to set off her beauty. Her complexion could bear any sunshine as yet, and her dress, though if you were to see it now, any present lady of Vanity Fair would pronounce it to be the most foolish and preposterous attire ever worn, was as handsome in her eyes and those of the public, some five-and-twenty years since, as the most brilliant costume of the most famous beauty of the present season. A score of years hence that, too, that milliners wonder, will have passed into the domain of the absurd, along with all previous vanities. But we are wondering too much. Mrs. Rawdon's dress was pronounced to be charmante on the eventful day of her presentation. Even good Lady Jane was forced to acknowledge this effect, as she looked at her kinswoman and owned sorrowfully to herself that she was quite inferior in taste to Mrs. Becky. She did not know how much care, thought, and genius Mrs. Rawdon had bestowed upon that garment. Rebecca had as good taste as any milliner in Europe, and such a clever way of doing things as Lady Jane little understood. The latter quickly spied out the magnificence of the brocade of Becky's train, and the splendour of the lace on her dress.
the brocade was an old remnant becky said and as for the lace it was a great bargain she had had it these hundred years my dear mrs crawley it must have been a cost of a little fortune lady jane said looking down at her own lace which was not nearly so good and then examining the quality of the ancient brocade which formed the material of mrs rawdon's court dress she felt inclined to say that she could not afford such a fine clothing but checked that speech with an effort as one uncharitable to her kinswoman and yet if lady jane had known all i think even her kindly temper would have failed her the fact is when she was put in sir pitt's house in order mrs rawdon had found the lace and the brocade in the old wardrobes the property of the former ladies of the house and had quietly carried the goods home and had stuff suited them to her own little person briggs saw her take them asked no question told no stories but i believe quite sympathized with her on this matter and so with many another honest woman and the diamonds where the deuce did you get the diamonds becky said her husband admiring some jewels which he had never seen before and which sparkled in her ears and on her neck with brilliance and profusion becky blushed a little and looked at him hard for a moment pitt crawley blushed a little too and looked out of window the fact is he had given her a very small portion of the brilliance a pretty diamond clasp which confined a pearl necklace which she wore and the baronet had omitted to mention the circumstance to his lady becky looked at her husband and then at sir pitt with an air of saucy triumph as much as to say shall i betray you guess she said to her husband why you silly man she continued where do you suppose i got them all except the little clasp which a dear friend of mine gave me long ago i hired them to be sure i hired them at mr polonius in coventry street you don't suppose that all the diamonds which go to court belong to the wearers like those beautiful stones which lady jane has and which are much handsomer than any which i have i am certain they are family jewels said sir pitt again looking uneasy and his in his in this family conversation the carriage rolled down the street until its cargoes finally discharged at the gates of the palace where the sovereign was sitting in state the diamonds which had created rawdon's admiration never went back to mr polonius of coventry street and that gentleman never applied for their restoration but they retired into a little private repository in an old desk which amelia sedley had given her years and years ago and in which becky kept a number of useful and perhaps valuable things about which her husband knew nothing to know nothing or little is in the nature of some husbands to hide in the nature of how many women O oh, ladies, how many of you have surreptitious milliners' bills? How many of you have gowns and bracelets which you don't show, which you wear trembling, trembling and coaxing with smiles the husband by your side, who does not know the new velvet gown from the old one, or the new bracelet from last year's, or has any notion that the ragged-looking yellow lace scarf cost forty guineas, and that Madame Bobinot is writing donning letters every week for the money? thus rawdon knew nothing about the brilliant diamond earrings or the superb brilliant ornament which decorated the fair bosom of his lady but lord steyne who was in his place at court 
as lord of the powder closet and one of the great dignitaries and illustrious defences of the throne of england and came up with all his stars garters colours and cordons and paid particular attention to the little woman knew whence the jewels came and who paid for them as he bowed over her he smiled and quoted the acnide and the beautiful lines from the rape of the lock about belinda's diamonds which jews might kiss and infidels adore but i hope your lordship is orthodox said the little lady with a toss of her head and many ladies round about whispered and talked and many gentlemen nodded and whispered as they saw what marked attention the great nobleman was paying to the little adventuress what were the circumstances of the interview between rebecca crawley knee sharp and her imperial master it does not become such a feeble and inexperienced pen as mine to attempt to relate the dazzled eyes closed before that magnificent idea loyal respect and decency tell even the imagination not to look too keenly and audaciously about the sacred audience chamber but to back away rapidly silently and respectfully making profound bows out of the august presence this may be said that in all london there was no more loyal heart than becky's after this interview the name of a king was always on her lips and he was proclaimed by her to be the most charming of men she went to calagny's and ordered the finest portrait of him that art had produced and credit could supply she chose that famous one in which the best of monarchs is represented in a frock coat and a fur collar and breeches and silk stockings simpering on a sofa from under his curly brown wig she had it painted in a brooch and wore it indeed she amused and somewhat pestered her acquaintance with a perpetual talk about his urbanity and beauty who knows perhaps the little woman thought she might play the part of a maintenon or a pompadour but the finest sport of all after her presentation was to hear her talk virtuously she had a few female acquaintances not it must be owned of the very highest reputation in vanity fair but being made an honest woman of so to speak becky would not consort any longer with these dubious ones and cut lady crackenbury when the latter nodded to her from her opera box and gave mrs washington white the go-by in the ring one must my dear show one is somebody she said one mustn't be seen with doubtful people pity lady crackenbury from her heart and from mrs washington white may be a very good-natured person you may go and dine with them as you're like your rubber but i mustn't and won't and you will have the goodness to tell smith to say i am not at home when either of them calls the particulars of becky's costume were in the newspapers feathers lappets superb diamonds and all the rest lady crackenbury read the paragraph in bitterness of spirit and discoursed to her followers about the airs which the woman was giving herself mrs bute crawley and her young ladies in the country had a copy of the morning post from town and gave a vent to their honest indignation if you had been sandy-haired green-eyed and a french rope dancer's daughter mrs bute said to her eldest girl who on the contrary was a very swarty short and stub-nosed young lady you might have had superb diamonds for suit and have been presented at court by a cousin the lady jane but you're only a gentlewoman my dear child my poor dear child you have only some of the best blood in england in your veins and good principles and p 
penalty for your portion i myself the wife of a baronet's younger brother too never thought of such a thing as going to court nor with other people if good queen charlotte had been alive in this way the worthy rectoress consoled herself and her daughter sighed and sat over the peerage all night a few days after the famous presentation another great and exceeding other was vouchsafed to the virtuous becky lady stein's carriage drove up to mr roland crawley's door and the footman instead of driving down the front of the house as by his tremendous knocking he appeared to be inclined to do relented and only delivered in a couple of cards on which were engraven the names of the marchioness of stein and the countess of gaunt if these bits of pasteboard had been beautiful pictures or had had a, a hundred yards of malines lace rolled around them with twice the number of guineas becky could not have regarded them with more pleasure you may be sure they occupied a conspicuous place in the china bowl on the drawing-room table where becky kept the cards of her visitors lord lord how poor mrs washington white's card and lady crackenbury's card which our little friend had been glad enough to get a few months back and of which a silly little creature was rather proud once lord lord i say how soon at the appearance of these grand court cards did those poor little neglected deuces sink down to the bottom of the pack stein barclays johns of helvelin and carolyn of camelot we may be sure that becky and briggs looked out those august names in the parage and followed the noble races up through all the ramifications of the family tree my lord stein coming to call a couple of hours afterwards and looking about him and observing everything as was his wont found his lady's cards already ranged as the trumps of becky's hands and grinned as this old cynic always did at any naive display of human weakness becky came down to him presently whenever the dear girl expected his lordship a toilette was prepared a hair in perfect order a mouchoirs apron shafts little morocco slippers and other female gimcracks arranged and she seated in some artless and agreeable posture ready to receive him whenever she was surprised of course she had to fly to her apartment to take a rapid survey of matters in the glass and to trip down again to wait upon the great pair she found him grinning over the bowl she was discovered and she blushed a little thank you monsignor she said you see your ladies have been here how good of you i couldn't come before i was in the kitchen making a pudding i know you were i saw you through the area railings as i drove up replied the old gentleman you see everything a few things but not that my pretty lady he said good-natured you silly little fibster i heard you in the room overhead where i have no doubt you were putting a little rouge on you must give some of yours to my lady gaunt whose complexion is quite preposterous and i heard the bedroom door open and then you came downstairs is it a crime to try and look my best when you come here answered mrs rawdon plaintively and she rubbed her cheek with a handkerchief as if to show there was no rouge at all only genuine blushes and modesty in her case about this who can tell i know there is some rouge that won't come off on a pocket handkerchief and some so good that even tears will not disturb it well said the old gentleman twiddling round his wife's card 
You are bent on becoming a fine lady. You pester my poor old life, but to get you into the world, you won't be able to hold your own there, you silly little fool. You've got no money. You will get us a place, interposed Becky, as quick as possible. You've got no money, and you want to compete with those who have. You poor little earthenware pipkin. You want to swim down the stream along with the great copper kettles. All women are alike. Everybody is striving for what is not worth the having. God! <sighs> Dined with the king yesterday, and we had neck of mutton and turnips. A dinner of herbs is better than a stalled ox very often. You will go to Gaunt House. You give an old fellow no rest until you get there. It's not half so nice as here. You'll be bored there. I am. My wife is as gay as Lady Macbeth, and my daughter's as cheerful as Regan and Goneril. I don't sleep in what they call my bedroom. The bed is like the baldaquin of St. Peter's, and the pitches frighten me. I have a little brass bed in a dressing room, and a little here mattress, like an anchorite. I am an anchorite. Ah, ho, ho, you'll be asked to dinner next week. And gare or femme, look out and hold your own. All the women will bully you. This was a very long speech. For a man, a few words like my Lord Stein. Nor was it the first which he uttered for Becky's benefit on that day. Briggs looked up from the work-table at which she was seated in the farther room, and gave a deep sigh as she heard the great Marquis speak so lightly for her sex. "'If you don't turn off that abominable sheep-dog,' said Lord Stein, with a savage look over his shoulder at her, "'I will have a poisoned.' "'I always give my dog dinner from my own plate,' said Rebecca, laughing mischievously and having enjoyed for some time the discomfiture of my lord, who hated poor Briggs for interrupting his tete-a-tete with the fair counsel's wife. Mrs. Rodden at length had pity upon her admirer, and calling to Briggs praised the fineness of the weather to her, and bade her to take out that child for a walk. "'I can't send her away,' Becky said presently, after a pause, and in a very sad voice her eyes filled with tears as she spoke and she turned away her head. "'You owe her her wages, I suppose,' said the pair. "'Worse than that,' said Becky, still casting down her eyes, "'I have ruined her.' "'Ruined her? Then why don't you turn her out?' the gentleman asked. "'Men do that,' Becky answered bitterly. "'Women are not so bad as you. Last year, when you were reduced to our last guinea, she gave us everything.' She shall never leave me until we are ruined utterly ourselves, which does not seem far off until I can pay her the utmost farthing. How much is it? said the peer with a note, and Becky reflecting on the largeness of his means, mentioned not only the sum which he had borrowed from Miss Briggs, but one of nearly double the amount. This caused the Lord Stein to break out in another brief and energetic expression of anger, at which Rebecca held down her head the more and cried bitterly. I could not help it. It was my only chance. I dare not tell my husband. He would kill me if I told him what I have done. I have kept it a secret from everybody but you. And you forced it from me. Ah, oh, what shall I do, Lord Stein? For I am very, very unhappy. Lord Stein made no reply except by beating the devil's tattoo and biting his nails. At last he clapped his hat on his head 
and flung out of the room. Rebecca did not rise from her attitude of misery until the door slammed upon him and his carriage whirled away. Then she rose up with the querous expression of victorious mischief, glittering in her green eyes. She burst out laughing once or twice to herself, as she sat at work and sitting down to the piano. She rattled away a triumphant voluntary on the keys, which made the people pause under her window to listen to her brilliant music. That night there came two notes from Gaunt House for the little woman the one containing a card of invitation from lord and lady stein to a dinner at gaunt house next friday while the other enclosed a slip of grey paper bearing lord stein's signature and the address of messrs jones browns and robinson lombard street rawdon heard becky laughing in the night once or twice it was only her delight at going to gaunt house and facing the ladies there she said which amused her sir but the truth was that she was occupied with a great number of other thoughts should she pay off all the briggs and give her her conge should she astonish raggles by settling his account she turned over all these thoughts on her pillow and on the next day when rawdon went out to pay his morning visit to the club mrs crawley in a modest dress with a veil on whipped off in a hackney coach to the city and being landed at messrs jones and robinson's bank presented a document there to the authority at the desk who in reply asked her how she would take it she gently said she would take a hundred and fifty pounds in small notes and the remainder in one note and passing through st paul's churchyard stopped there and bought the handsomest black silk gown for briggs which money could buy and which with a kiss and the kindest speeches he presented to the little old spinster then she walked to mr rackles inquired about his children affectionately and gave him fifty pounds on account then she went to the liveryman from whom she jobbed her carriages and gratified him with a similar sum and i hope this will be a lesson to you spavin she said and that on the next drawing-room day my brother sir pitt will not be inconvenienced by being obliged to take four of us in his carriage to wait upon his majesty because my own carriage is not forthcoming it appears there had been a difference in the last drawing-room day hence the degradation which the colonel had almost suffered of being obliged to enter the presence of his sovereign in a hack cab these arrangements concluded becky paid a visit upstairs to the before-mentioned desk which amelia sedley had given her years and years ago and which contained a number of useful and valuable little things in which private museum she placed the one note which messrs jones and robinson's cashier had given her End of chapter forty eight